Hello and welcome to the Radical Life podcast. I'm Marina Patrice Baer. My pronouns are they, them, and MP. I'm recording for you today on the unceded lands of the Lene Lenape peoples. And today it is my absolute pleasure to be speaking with our Nourish module leader. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, welcome. My name is Ty and I am, my pronouns are he, him. I'm here in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. This is uh, traditionally the Miwok, the Plains and uh, Central Sierra Miwok territory. And I'm, I'm here today in my family's restaurant um, on, a, on a closed day. And I'm excited to be talking with you folks about my journey with nourishment and this exciting new radical project. Awesome. Um, I know that you have shared with me that you do some community organizing and pieces, and I'm wondering if you want to name any of that work um, and how it relates to nourishment, you know, before we dive too far in. Yeah, absolutely. So I started my journey with advocacy as a, as a youth here in a rural region. I, I am transgender, so I was assigned female at birth and was involved in safe, creating safe spaces on my high school campus. Um, back in 2000, we started one of the first few GSAs in the nation. I think there were fewer than 50 at that time. And in a, in a rather conservative rural area, that was a, a big deal. So I was um, public about my commitment to safe space on, in school. And that was kind of my foot in the door to community organizing. I was lucky to get involved with great organizations like GLSEN and GSA Network. Um, that would connect educators and students with the resources to shift their school climate. And that is where, where my journey began as an, as an advocate, an activist, and a community organizer. Awesome. And how does that relate to your work in the world um, like now? Yeah, so I, re I moved back to my home region about a decade ago uh, to reinfuse the area with um, you know, with my values and, and my energy. So knowing that as a teenager and, and really as a child, um, I didn't have, I didn't have great results with the adults in the community. So I was always being given sort of negative feedback on my presentation, my fashion, my, even my vocabulary. And so being here as an adult, I'm focused on creating safe spaces for youth and I facilitate a LGBTQ plus youth group that is housed here in, in the cafe and we meet twice a month and we have done art shows and outings and mostly it is social support. So it's an opportunity for youth in this area to get together and, and possibly meet other youth who are maybe experiencing similar challenges, um, whether they're trans or gender non-conforming or maybe are raised in a, um, a household with two moms. Um, in a small town, that's a big deal still. And so just having a place where you can come together and chat and feel like your experience of life is not just this controversial burden to, to communicate and, and convey to your classmates, it's a really special role to get to play. I mean, even something as simple as telling a kid on the street, wow, your hair looks so cool. That's not the feedback I got growing up here. And so it's really special to get to be a, an out queer adult trans male here in this in this region and just hold space for that. I heard several things in there that I think are really nourishing, right? One, um, and you can tell me more about, you know, if I'm on the right track here, but just the idea of being able to return to a space 
when you are uh, better resourced is the word I'll use, right? We go away, we gather our resources, we come back, right? Fortified and stronger so that even if the places that we come from are still challenging for us, right? I think we come to them as different people. And so I'm hearing that in there. And I'm also hearing this um, idea that I find really nourishing around social support, right? Especially social support for youth, right? Um, and, you know, I think that uh, the climate in, gen in general, right? For, you know, LGBTQ queer youth is really challenging, right? And then is just devastating in many places for trans youth. And so I'm layering in this idea that like, I don't have a lot of experience with about being in a rural community. And I'm thinking about just how tremendous it is to see someone else like you, right? And specifically to see a thriving adult, right? To get to see like, okay, yes, like people, we grow up and like have healthy lives and, you know, get to go away and maybe come back if we want. Do you want to say more about that? Absolutely. It has been an incredible blessing to be able to return. Um, when I left, I left the day after high school ended. This was not a safe space to be different. Um, the journey of, you know, nourishing myself and healing myself and, you know, finding the resources I need to, to kind of finish growing up after, you know, the traumatic experiences of being a, a queer adolescent in a conservative region. Um, that journey led me pretty obviously back home because here I know who I am and I'm the kind of person that's going to do the work wherever I am and that's part of my family culture it's just that's just how I'm built and so at some point I think in my late 20s I realized no matter where I'm where I am I'm going to be doing this work and when I take a break I'm going to want to go back home and if no one's doing that work back home, it's not going to be that much fun to go back and visit, you know? And so really like weighing, weighing in the risk and benefit of where where's the best bang for my buck. If I'm going to be organizing queer youth, it might as well be rural queer youth in my home region, because it is not only is it a, a, a really neat way to be able to give back um, but it's it heal it heals me tenfold. I mean, the the nourishment that I receive sitting in a group of kids listening, you know, they're teaching me new terminology, um, you know, and and it's just a really special role. And I know that, um, you know, I didn't even know the word transgender until I was eighteen or so. And so that was after I had, you know, I cut my ID in half over the gender marker. I knew something was going on. And so to be able to, you know, sit in a room and the, the kids kind of gather and then we do our check-ins and I usually kind of lead with an example. I, I remind them like, you can share as little or as much as you want, but the more you share, the more likely the person next to you is going to share, you know, more authentically about what, what their circumstances are. And so often kids come in there, the adults in their lives might know who I am and know, oh, there's this transgender man, he facilitates this youth group, but the kids don't necessarily have all those pieces together. And so when I introduce myself and I say, you know, hi, I'm Ty, you know, I run this restaurant, I was raised a little girl in this town, you know, it's like, oh, well, I want to, I want to grow up to be a man or, you know, whatever their, whatever their circumstances are. And you can just see like, their, their gears start grinding and they're like, wow, hey, so this guy, I mean, and yeah, he decided to live here. And it's just, it's really, it's redeeming, um, especially after being kind of 
treated like such a threat as a teenager. It's it's really nice to know that I am a resource. And just because someone is threatened doesn't make me a threat. Ooh, I'm yeah. gonna breathe at that last one for a minute because I feel like that one is like an urgently important message, right? Just because someone feels threatened doesn't mean I'm a threat. I think is we need t-shirts, we need, you oh. know, like, yes. Um, and I really appreciate the language there of redemption, right? Of having this experience where home gets to be a place where you go back and come to feel like it's home. Um, I don't, I don't know that I can find words for it, but I can feel it in my body. Um, and it's, it's a little bit like, mm, like all of my muscles have unknotted, right? Like, I'm just like, oh yeah, that holding that happens for a long time. Um, I am curious, I know that, you know, another identity that is important to you is being a second generation restaurateur. And so I'm curious about um, the relationship, right? Between um, coming home, right? And having the social space be actually in the restaurant, right? Um, and I don't know that I have a fuller question there, but I would love for you to tell me about how those intersect. I would also love if you wanna share a little bit about the space specifically that you're sitting in in the restaurant now. And this quilt behind you is absolutely gorgeous. So if it has a story, I would love to hear that as well. Yeah, thanks MP. So my family opened to this restaurant when I was six. And so really even and always through every kind of hiccup in public education where I was kind of being reflected, there wasn't really space for me. Uh, there was space for me. I had a safe space and it was this cafe. And so as a young person, I got to um, come and work and feel useful and connected and part of a team. And that was not the experience of the classroom. And so, so much benefit came to me as a kid in being able to claim my, my autonomy and strength in this safe space. And so to come full circle and be able to host the youth here. And we've also done community potlucks, you know, for all, all ages, LGBT community potlucks here. And just being able to really optimize the value of this space by opening it up to the community beyond the hours where our patrons are dining. Um, it's it's definitely a win-win. It, it brings life to the space and it gives us, the family, myself, you know, an opportunity to kind of expand on the love, expand on the vision of providing this uh, hosp hospitality that is open and, and radically available to everyone. And so it's it's quite a fun place to play, whether we're playing restaurants or we're playing, you know, community ac action or whatever we're working on. This um, is a colorful environment. And you, you mentioned this gorgeous quilt behind me. Uh, my friend Jack Jett made that. He's a sign language interpreter down in the valley. And the youth group actually had the vision for an art show. And it, this was maybe five years ago now. And so we were brainstorming ideas and what, you know, what to call an art show that is celebrating LGBT lives and art. And so the youth came up with safe space. And this has, Rosebud's has been my safe space. And so it, it kind of rang true. And we've, we've done the show four years and this last year, the um, we expanded the to the two neighboring counties so all three of our regional arts councils were on board and there was 
local LGBT artists featured in all three of our counties during the month of June and kind of on into July. And that was a really exciting opportunity to kind of expand out of Amador into the other two counties and really pull in that support. And those arts councils were so excited to be a part of it. So. I love this um, ripple effect, right? That comes out of a well-grounded space, right? And an idea that continues to expand. And I imagine that the other counties that are near you are also fairly rural. Is that accurate? Yeah. So really like sweet for me to imagine this like spreading, right? Um, Because it's really, I think it's special that you have, you know, this space, but also the idea that um, what happens in a space can really like exponentially magnify. I think that's really, um, it's really important to keep in mind, right? That there are, there aren't really any little actions, right? That like, they all sort of grow and the more folks they touch. Absolutely. Um, I am curious about um, in terms of what has shaped your understanding of nourishment. I I hear it's the cafe. I hear that it's interacting, you know, and creating a a social space um, for queer youth and also like families of all ages. Is there anything else in there that you want to share about um, what has shaped your identity or thoughts around um, being in particularly like a food service space for nourishment? Yeah, absolutely. So MP, I really was raised by waitresses. And so that, you know, that kind of iconic, you know, swivel chair diner scene and, you know, maybe she's chewing on the back of her pen and, and just, you know, calling you honey and all that. That is that was my you know, my childhood was surrounded by waitresses. And so that style of kind of good home hospitality extended to everyone, the grouchy guy who's there before you open all the way through to, you know, your first timers, or these days I wait on people who've eaten here over the course of the last 30 years, you know, and anytime they're in town, this is where they stop. And so that, um, you know, commitment to making hospitality accessible, regardless of kind of what's going on for the individual coming through our doors, that's really, that really has shaped me. And so whether I'm here or out, you know, out in the world, that, that attitude of, you know, of radical hospitality and, um, you know, accommodation, because we're all coming to the moment from different perspectives. And that really does allow me to, you know, greet people where they are and try to be, um, to be present with them without sort of stepping away from my center. I can, I can still be rushed or frustrated or tired and, you know, acknowledge that, you know, you have something else going on and here we are together kind of trying to figure out where those two circumstances meet up. I really love this idea, like just the language of radical hospitality. And I appreciated um, the way that you named that it not being a, a, you stepping away from your center, right? And so in my imagination, that is uh, radical hospitality extending in both directions, right? Like you're extending it to yourself (laughs) as well as serving from that place and extending it to others. Um, And that was really meaningful for me to hear, right? I, I worked for many, many years in a customer service intensive environment. And there was a lot of like, the customer is always right. And often the customer is wrong, right? And so like, you're trying to like work that line, right? And so I'm just thinking about how 
much better interactions that I had with folks went when I was feeling um, in command of myself, right? And able to um, respond in a compassionate way, but not in a, um, what's the word? Deferential is the word that comes to mind and it's not exactly the one that I mean. But like where you're not giving yourself away. And some of that for me is important because it means that you're actually serving from a very whole place, right? And then people are getting that from you. So they may not always be getting exactly the answer that they want, at least in the case of I worked in finance, right? <laughs> Which maybe is a little different than like, yes, can you modify my order? But they were always getting uh, an answer that came with the integrity of me being in, yeah, in my own space. <laughs> Right. And I really think the difference there is sacred commerce. Mm -hmm. So um, my mom and, and has committed this business to the concept of sacred commerce. And that means we value our staff as much as our patrons. And so and that extends back to ourselves, of course, because, we, you know, we are part of that crew. And so if uh, if the balance is off in such a way that the labor is being exploited, you really can't sustain hospitality very long. Um, you can't kind of run down your crew or yourself just at the expense of pulling off that perfect picture. And I think we have had a lot of opportunities to practice and pivot and redefine that over the course of the pandemic, because realistically, I wasn't raised to say no. Um, you know, when, when a customer comes in and, or, you know, maybe someone from another store on the street and they want to use the restroom, it's, it's, you, you kind of are, have always been inclined to say yes, like kind of regardless of what the circumstances are, we can't, we can't really do that. We have to, we have to be able to say no in order to have meaningful yeses, I, I think. And so we really have had to practice that over the course of the last couple of years and kind of redefine what do people get from us? What it is we're trying to convey, what we want to provide and where the lines are on that. Two things there that feel like so important to me is this idea that I, I wish that like every person who managed staff in the world, including my past self, <laughs> right? <laughs> could hear you say that we have to value our staff as much as we value our patrons or our customers because exploiting our staff, right, is not a long-term strategy. And certainly, you know, here where I have most of my life experience in the U.S., right, that is not a, a value that is widely held. And um, we're suffering pretty severely from it. The other piece that... Um, I shared this in the last episode, and I think that it is important enough that I'm going to say it again, right? And I wish that I could remember who said it to me the first time, but it's this idea around, if I never hear your no, how can I trust your yes, right? And so, you know, that balance of the desire to, which I think, you know, we've been trained into, right? The desire to always be pleasing other people as a way to earn our worth, right? And so like that yes can get very um, dangerous and corrosive over time. Um, so I appreciate you just naming that, right? The, the desire to want to say yes to everything and then also at the sacrifice of who, right? Or the sacrifice of what. Um, I would love for you to tell me a bit about what happens for you when you consider the verb nourish, right? We've designed 
um, all of our episodes, right? And all of our content around verbs. And so we've got this verb nourish. When you think about nourish, what are we nourishing? Yeah, I love that because I am a man of action. And so the action is much more comfortable for me than maybe the concept or the emotional relationship with nourishment. And what are the actions there? And for me, one of the things that comes to mind immediately is human interaction. I, I am nourished by conversation. I come from a family of storytellers. When I get to disclose something that is real for me and I can share it in a way where I, it resonates with someone and that ideally, you know, then that kind of starts bouncing back and forth. They're kind of sharing real life things that that then resonate with me that that um, back and forth. And it can be as simple as a conversation about what side you want with your breakfast, you know, but if it's real and, and they're like, well, what are the potatoes? And then I get to talk about, they see my excitement and I see their excitement and it could be just simple stuff. It doesn't have to be like the deep trenches of our, you know, most quiet truths, you know, it's just real things, real moments where I can see like the the cycle of human emotion and you know we can sort of acknowledge mutual need um for me those interactions are nourishment and likewise movement i i am nourished by action i i love to walk through the hills i i love to dance and 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 listen to you know music and just feel how my body responds to its environment and really that's the same as in conversation the the nourishing part is that I'm sharing and it evokes a response within me. And then I it kind of snowballs into this, this sort of verb, this verb, as you put it, of nourishment. We're mutually nourishing each other by engaging that way. I love this. I, I started to write it down, but then I was also listening so hard that I lost a little bit of it. But feel how my body responds, I think is such a really beautiful idea in general about like why we do things right and if the if the why could become more focused on like what's the experience I'm having as opposed to like the outcome I'm seeking I'm just like I'm gonna sit with that one in the back of my mind for a while and like see how that perspective shapes things as I like carry it forward um but I I love that you know nourishment in a lot of ways right is around food right it is it is a, a sustainer, right? But I love that here you've named actually the interaction around food being more um, nourishing, I guess is the word, but also just more like fuller, right? A fuller experience than simply like eating a food, right? And I really, I, I was sitting there thinking as you were like sharing this example about like even just a conversation about potatoes, right? This, um, the way that enthusiasm is contagious, right? And that like, um, yeah, just that like, you know, like I was, I grew up in Maine, I'm like picturing the potatoes and there's like a whole potato season and right. And I think that just that um, invitation to be in relationship, and this is sort of still for me the same thing, how my body responds, right? Like how am I like moving through the world experiencing these exchanges? And I think that, um, what I heard in there is that the exchange, right, of the energy between the conversation, the exchange of the energy as you're moving your body, either with the sound and the music or outside in the, the environment, that that really felt like what I heard there as the core of what nourishment means. Is there anything you want to add there? 
Yeah, I think that we do kind of uh, compound the value of nourishment by sharing it with each other. I think a lot of us probably could see that in a new light during the early phases of the pandemic when we were kind of eating privately alone with food that was dropped off while we weren't looking. Um, and it it does, it changes. I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know that it changes the physiological experience of nourishment, but it definitely changes the psychological and emotional experience of, of, of having a meal, a meal alone, even one that you prepare for yourself, you can kind of get that same um, compounded value from if you're being intentional about it. But when you get to sit down or even like, you know, at work, I'm watching people eat and I'm kind of not even with them, but you can see they're laughing, they're enjoying themselves. And like the energy around the table just is expansive. And there's a lot to, a lot of value in that when we don't have time or the opportunity, or maybe we're far from the people that we like to, you know, share meals with, it does shift kind of it shifts from this sort of invigorating uh, exchange to sort of just checking the boxes. Like, did I did I nourish this vessel today, and and in the ways that I'm able to? Uh, I really that last part there I heard was sort of like the transactional nature of right. Like, I have to put the things in in order to keep the body moving, right, or you know, to keep it functioning. But I'm thinking about there's a really lovely, um, you know, segment in your third class where you're making a meal, right? And you're sharing it with us because you're talking to us while you're making it, right? But you're also like in your space by yourself making it and you're talking with us a little bit about like just how, you know, how you interact with food when you're preparing it for yourself. And I think it, for me, it was such a gift to just like consider, um, that interaction, right? It's also been a little while since I've been grocery shopping. So like I often like I'll order online and then like, you know, my partner will pick them up and then like my food will arrive. So not quite as like, you know, when people used to drop it off, but similar. And, um, you know, I was watching the footage of you in that video, like, you know, purchasing food and like uh, interacting. And one of the things I love is you talk about um, walking through the store and seeing everything that's available, like before you decide to purchase it. And I just like, I just was like, oh, I have not had that sensory experience in a little while. And I have to be honest, I don't love shopping for food. So it maybe is not the place where I'm going to go and have that sensory experience. Right. But it did remind me like, oh, that sensory stuff is really nourishing. And that like, um, we lose something right of our fullness and our potential for joy. Right. If we're always interacting at that transactional level and, you know, if we're always I know that you mentioned busy and, you know, for me, that's a big one, like rest is my jam. Right. And so like making enough space to be able to experience things on that like sensory level. I think that's all. I had a lot of thoughts there. Thanks for letting me get them out. Um, I would love if you wanted to share with us an important memory that you have around nourishment. Yeah, so food was always a huge part of my life. We, 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 I was raised in the restaurant. I was here more than anywhere else. And uh, so I think around my, it was either my 11th or 12th birthday. Um, and, you know, I, I wish I remembered where it started. But for some reason, I got this idea, um, probably based around like the scavenger hunt type of concept or trick-or-treating. Um, and I invited my friends over. You know, they thought they were coming to just your standard slumber party, junior high, ice cream sundays, and a movie, something like that. 
Um, but once they arrived, they found out that we were actually going around the neighborhood uh, to collect canned food. And so we went out in, I think, a couple teams in different directions and each went to um, probably a dozen door fronts and collected cans cans of food. And the and then we proceeded with the standard birthday traditions, you know, Sundays in a movie and a sleepover where no one sleeps and that kind of fun stuff. But then in the morning, we got everybody piled into the minivan and we drove those cans of food, you know, a good a good sized box or two um, over to our local homeless shelter. And that was something that you know, clearly that was not something anyone talked me into. Um, it was my birthday. It was my desire. That was what I wanted to do. And um, I, I didn't have uh, the relationship that I have now with the local homeless shelter. I mean, obviously I, I put a lot of work into um, connecting with that community since I returned, but just at, that was the spark of truth within me that at that age, I wanted to make sure that other people had access to nourishment. I knew that I had a, a, the ultimate access to food um, and that I was aware that not everyone did. And so even if my peers kind of didn't really understand what that party was all about, um, I think of it often because it was, it came from within me. It was a part of just who I am. And that that part is strong still today. You know, I, I come across people um, and I figure out what, what way I can be a part of a good thing in their day that day. And we continue to do that type of sort of pay it forward um, process here at the cafe. We have very generous customers and um, we have meals basically pre-purchased. So if homeless folks in the community or, you know, someone forgets their wallet, you know, I, I, you just never know really what a person's circumstances are locked out of the house, but they're hungry. Um, so folks kind of know that if they come in and they're not able to purchase their meal, that that's um, going to be taken care of. They probably don't always know that it's actually already been taken care of. Um, and so it's a really neat to be able to continue that and, uh, and make sure that the, the quality of nourishment that we provide our patrons is extended to our neighbors, regardless of their means. I love the through line there, right, of nourishment, again, and being something that is um, better when shared, right? And, um, you know, this took me back to a memory of, like, canvassing a neighborhood when I was in high school, right? And, like, you know, I was like, oh, I remember this, like going and asking for people for things. Um, I was trying to remember the context of like for canned goods. I'm sure it was like one of our service projects, you know, yeah. but I think it's really, um, it, it speaks to how nourishment is a core value for you that like, this is what you wanted to do for your birthday. And this is what you wanted to share with your friends, right? Like this is a, and I, um, I love that this is a gift that goes in multiple directions, right? Because you get to share nourishment with folks who, you know, literally are able to take this out into your community. But I'm also imagining the gift that you give to the other folks that show up, right? That maybe this isn't in their awareness, right? And so like, just also the way that people, especially I'm thinking over myself about like in that like high school age, right? And I know this is a little bit earlier, but this is the idea around the way that people around us are opening up our minds right, and are, are giving us sort of little gems of like the way that we interact with the world as we, you know, continue to grow up. So it's really, um, it's like heartwarming for me to like picture like everyone sort of coming over to do a thing. And I love that, you know, you name like, and we still did birthday stuff, right? It wasn't like, oh, we did this in lieu of that. And, you know, 
Um, and it's a sweet image for me to imagine y'all like piling into the minivan and then going to drop this stuff off. I'm also thinking about, um, you know, both these, these words that you've used around um, radical hospitality and sacred commerce and how that comes together in this place where like people are able to be nourished in your restaurant regardless of their means and that people are so generous, not just you and your family, which are, you know, clearly I can feel the generosity of, but that also the way that that exchange with your customers then causes um, them to also, you know, become more generous and to, to care for, you know, other folks in your community. I think that's really, I think that's spectacular. And part of me also wonders like, huh, is that a thing that only happens in a small town? And maybe I, I like, I, I like to think that it happens in other ways, like in, you know, uh, in other spaces, but I, I can imagine the particular dynamic of it being really um, special in a small space, small towns, I guess maybe well, I your space may be large, but the town is small. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that small communities have the opportunity to harness uh, creative winds that, um, you know, you kind of get kind of bogged down with logistics, the bigger the, the bigger the town, the bigger the circumstance. Uh, the way it had unfolded here at the cafe was the one of the local high schools did a relay fund, uh, a relay fundraiser, the track team. Um, it was like a 24 hour. They were running for 24 hours. That's not my thing. Um, but they were doing it to raise money for what's called the homeless student fund. And it was not on my radar, even though as a kid, homelessness and nourishment was on my radar. It was I was well into adulthood before I thought about what it would have been like to be homeless as a child, as a student, especially considering there were not a lot of safe spaces for me and hiding in my room in my parents' home was one of those few spaces that did feel safe. And so when the um, track team did that relay that weekend, this was maybe five years ago, we talked to our servers and we all decided that we would donate our coins because, you know, servers make tips, at least in the U.S., servers make tips. And you, at the end of your week, you spend a bunch of time counting your coins up and exchanging that. And so though we're not maybe at the socioeconomic level to be like sustaining donors for something, you know, like, you know, public radio or something, some, you know, to match our values, being able to dump all our coins in a jar at the end of the week instead of spending time roll, counting and rolling them which I do enjoy, um, that meant that we could be playing a, a part, even though we kind of, you know, it's, it's, maybe, it's small. So we, we started there and we, we do, we call the jar small change for big. And probably over the last five years, we've put somewhere between six and $10,000 back into this community. Um, so it's the coins from the servers if they want to donate those. But when I finish a transaction with our, with our patrons, I offer, would you like me to put your coins in the jar for the outreach ministry or something along those lines. And so there's, again, another opportunity to kind of engage with them and, and kind of open up this conversation on, on access and values and, and nourishment. And, and it really is a, an interesting opportunity to see kind of what, what they hear in that offer and, and kind of where they go with it. I think the first thing I want to pull out of that is, um, you know, the way our understanding of intersecting identities really takes a while to evolve, right? That like folks being unhoused and like having access to resources was in your mind for, you know, even as a child, right? But that that hadn't extended, you know, to like, what if I was a child, right? And that it took some time into your adulthood to see that. And I think that that's really just important to name, right? Because I know 
um, personally, like it still takes me a while to peel back the full layers of like, oh, this is what it looks like with multiple marginalized identities or this is right. And so um, I also just really love the way that like you had this awareness as a youth and then that young people came in and like that I just confluence means a lot to me. I like synchronicity. So that really is like a beautiful idea to me that like that there's this spark in you that then gets, you know, further ignited by the spark of other young people, like bringing it together. Um, and also like, you know, I'm having memories of my own, like of rolling coin, right. And of being someone who worked for tips. Right. And, um, yeah. And I think that when I think about, you know, my own time as, you know, a server that like, um, that those were not days where I was especially well-paid, right. Like even if people were generous, right. And some of it is just the, um, percentage on like what you're selling, right. Is only so high, um, and so I'm just thinking about like really what generosity that is to have your servers, you know, put that back into feeding more folks in your space. Um, and that really feels, um, again, I think it, it takes me back to this idea of sacred commerce and knowing that you're taking care of them within your community. And so they have that fullness of spirit, you know, to be able to give some of that back in return, not just in their interactions with customers, but then also in literally making sure that those customers are able to afford their meals. Um, and I love this like language of like with customers, hey, do you wanna donate your coins to our outreach ministry? Because I do, I think it is such a spiritual service to recognize that there are people who have needs that are different from our own in whatever direction, right? And to center them um, in being able to be of service in whatever way that we already have skills, right? Yeah. Um, other thoughts you want to add there before I move to a new question? The jar has just been such a blessing, you know, um, and, and being able to keep it kind of direct and and not we're not you know we're not it's not a 501c3 it's there's no board determining what action to take next but if someone walks through my doors and they you know that you can tell sometimes you need a new pair of shoes or you know maybe their um their animal was their their service animal or their companion animal was injured and if you're living outside that's like your main source of nourishment is that relationship between you and your animal and so we've been able to do some really creative um, act, we've been able to take action, you know, in creative ways to meet needs across the board. We've, we purchased a bunch of Spanish language grief books for age appropriate, um, children for the local hospice agency, their library didn't have any materials in Spanish. And, and so as, as we learn about things, we get to kind of say like, well, that, what role can we play in this? And a lot of times when you're kind of locked into a niche, like I run a cafe, you think you know your role and you just kind of recreate that same role over and over again. And having this jar and being able to engage with our customers this way has sort of opened that role up. And, you know, during the course of the, the early phases of the pandemic, when this is a mostly senior population. So most of our community volunteers were sheltering in place along with mom, we sent her home. 
Um, and so there's a, a local meal that is longstanding that is two times a week and it's complementary to the community. And mostly it's uh, unhoused folks and, and folks who maybe need the need the nutritional support, but folks also go just to socialize. Um, well, they they paused those meals right in March of 2020. And so we caught wind of that. And we kind of did some quick brainstorming and looked at what, what we had. And of course our sales had dramatically dropped and it was just my brother and I here and trying to keep ourselves sane and, and occupied. And, and so we decided, you know, with the money that was already in the jar to go ahead and host those first couple meals. And as soon as we made that decision, folks were calling the cafe and saying, you know, I'm saving three or $400 a month, not driving to work. I want to put that towards next month's meals. We, I mean, we didn't have to put ourselves out. We didn't have any surplus at that time, really, because we weren't making any money. Um, and so those meals were completely paid for by the community, really without even having to ask. When people find out what you're doing, and this happens to me a lot with the youth group, or, you know, someone will come into the cafe and say, you know, I grew up here in the 80s, and I'm LGBTQ, and, you know, here's 200 bucks for your youth group. And that type of stuff happens, I think, more in small towns because there's no question of who, you know, they don't have to kind of go to a big center and say, what do I do? I want to make a donation. They will say, oh, you need to go meet Ty. He's doing this and that and and give, you know, put your money where it can get to work right away. There is so much in there that really like just made me feel a little joy. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm I'm trying to backtrack to what felt like most like I want to highlight. One, thank you for telling me more about where this small change for big goes because I was really imagining it as like meals in the cafe. And so it's really um lovely to see the extent to which it moves out into your community. And um, you know, I'm thinking about like you saying that it's raised like six thousand to ten thousand dollars over this period of time, and that really goes places, right? Like that can actually like I was thinking about you saying like, oh, it gets someone shoes, it gets someone, right? Those are like, um, they are large expenses when you don't have the funds. But in terms of like what you can generate for expenses, like they, you know what I mean? It's, I, I love this idea that it is um, like smaller things that people really need in their day-to-day -day life to, sure. yeah, to support and sustain them. Um, and that food is one of those things, right? But that I think what I felt in that was that um, being seen and witnessed is actually even bigger, right? And is and is often then we get the nourishment we need, and it's not necessarily food, um, which I thought was really just powerful for me to like. I have a really like vivid sense of what's happening, like as you're describing these exchanges, I can see. And I really want to highlight what you said here about, you know, making the commitment to continue this meal and, and being in a place of like, we don't actually have a lot of surplus, but like we're here and we're, we need to do something to be in relationship. Right. And hearing that then people really were like, oh, I can help with that. And maybe it's not the same people that can come and serve the meal. Right. But that it's people like, oh, I have like you said, this extra money from not having to do this thing I usually do. And so here it is. And I think that that's really, um, it is really spectacular. I do think that um, I can imagine how that is um, in some ways a feature of a small town because it is people, it's like there's a visibility that's happening, right? 
Whereas I think in, you know, a larger city, it's often, there are so many things that it's hard that I don't know that I know people to the extent that you do, right? Like I, um, and I am thinking about why that is, right? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's really giving me a lot of food for thought. And some of it is also just that like the sheer volume of people to interact with is much higher. Um, but some of it is also like, oh, there is a place, there is something about being in a place right? Where people come in and out that you get to have those ongoing interactions with. Um, and I'm just thinking a little bit about that as well, just for myself, like in this sort of pandemic times, right? That I came to work at home and then I also chose to leave my career and, you know, shift what I'm doing, right? And so uh, I had not until really this moment realized like, oh, this project that we've been doing together really has bring it, been bringing me that nourishment and like getting to have these podcast conversations. Um, but it is wonder, it's making me think about like, oh, how do I expand that reach? So thank you for that. Cause it was a, it, it really was a gift for me to, to sit with that. I'm wondering if you want to say anything. I mean, I, I hear that there's a lot of things that are nourishing you in your day-to-day -day life in this actual like restaurant space interaction, but I'm wondering if you want to say anything else about what nourishment looks like for you in your day-to-day -day life and perhaps also how that shifted over time. Absolutely. So having kind of been socialized to give, you know, and cater, um, turning that care back around to myself was not a uh, second nature. And for me, one of the kind of, one of the ways that I kind of wound my way back around to self-care was uh, through direct outreach. Um, so I had a good friend who was uh, who's no longer living and, and she went by uh, Da Vinci Rembrandt and she was living outside here in, in town. And it came to be that where she lived was where I parked. Um, and I felt so, I, I came to feel so much safer parking there knowing that she was there and not everybody maybe would have wrapped it up for themselves that way, but we struck it up. You know, we struck up a, a conversation or a friendship, what evolved into a friendship. And there was just something very comforting of, about knowing that, you know, where I was leaving my car, there she was, you know? And I think that maybe, maybe she felt a similar sort of increase in safety knowing that, because when I pulled in, then her space was kind of behind that. And so there was sort of a symbiotic uh, balance to her occupying this space and me occupying that space. And, and we got into kind of a pattern together. And I realized that because, mostly through her encouragement, because I'm always going to check in with people. That's just how I, that's how I am. So, you know, I see you, I'm like, Hi, have you eaten today? You know? Um, and, and so she would turn that right back around to me, you know, and be like, well, what did you eat today? Have you eaten today? And, and often the, and my answer was no, uh, whether or not she had eaten, I don't, you know, it was like, oh, you're right. Okay. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to make myself, um, you know, I pretty much survive on salmon patties. It's a really quick, like protein source. I don't have to do much to it. Um, and so I just would, you know, put up a couple of salmon patties on the little, you know, forming grill or whatever. And 
um, you know, collect a few snacks and go back outside. I do better if I eat my meals, at least a meal or two, you know, every other day outside. And so I would get back outside. She, she would, she loved the salmon. We both like salmon. And so we would both get to eat. And sometimes we would just sort of, you know, our, we would take our food in different directions. And sometimes we would sit and eat together. Um, but it was that reflection back, like, she, she so obviously she knew that I wasn't going to be able to keep offering food to someone else unless I was nourishing myself. I didn't, I mean, I knew that on some level, but that wasn't what I was paying attention to. I was paying attention to her and kind of reading, you know, the, the signs of if she was on, if this is an up day or a down day or kind of where things are going. Um, you know, in, in community organizing, and, and and I'm sure it's small and large towns the same, there's so much misinformation. If you've never experienced life without a, a home, a home base, you don't really know what that's like. Um, I feel like I've been blessed to stay to stay housed for a long time, but I do remember what it was like to not know where to be in the daytime because you're not supposed to be anywhere. And, you know, you, and all, all of the struggles that go along with and besides just not having somewhere to sleep. It's it's a lot of pressure to keep moving and um, always checking, you know, over your shoulder and stuff. And so by kind of creating this pattern together, she and I really were able to support each other where we're at, you know, her, her life, nothing about my life really changed, significantly changed her life. And I mean, she didn't, I think she had maybe more impact on my life than I did on hers. Um, because it really, even still, uh, and this, it's been, I think two years now since she, since she died. Um, I still think I still hear her voice and like, oh, like you can't really keep going unless you back up a little bit and make sure that like, did you have an apple this morning? Like, where, you know, when is, when is your next meal? Like, how, where's your water bottle? Like those type of things. When you're walking, you know, she would walk miles a day. She would, I would see her down in Sacramento, which is 50 miles away, walking back up, you know, the way. And um, you have to make a plan for that. Even if you have minimal resources, you have to make a plan. So you get to knowing, oh, this is where that, that hose isn't turned off. I can take a shower over there when no one's watching or, you know, this is where I can, I can pop in and they'll, they'll fill up my water bottle or, you know, this business will let me plug my phone in or something like that. There's a lot of strategy, creative strategizing that goes into living through that type of experience. And so I really got a lot of wisdom from Da Vinci and her adaptability and her tenacity. Um, I missed her a lot. She was a good friend to me. I'm just sitting with the feeling of her for a minute. Um, yeah, I really appreciate the language of I, she had more impact on my life than I had on hers. Um, because what I heard you describe there is an experience that I've never had, right? And so you were able to give me a really good sense of it takes a lot of planning, like this language about like creative strategizing, right? In order to get your needs met was really <clears throat> helpful for me to like, you know, I think I'm ignorant of many experiences that I haven't had. And so when you can give someone a fuller picture of what someone's life look like, looks like, that's a, um, it's a real gift to me, I guess. I'm, I'm gonna keep using that because I think that like gift really like nourishment for me really is like the giving and receiving of gifts. But so um, 
you know, I have a fuller sense of her life, right? And having that sense of the extent of the things that she needed to do to sustain herself, I think it is tremendous that she still had the gift, <laughs> you know, to give you to be of service, to encourage you to nourish yourself and to reflect back to you in how much effort it took for her to do the things for herself that you needed to do that to care for yourself as well in order to have anything to give. Um, that was a true, that was really like a rich imagining for me. I was able to really get there and, and see that exchange. And, you know, I appreciated especially this moment where you said sometimes we took our food in different directions, right? That, um, sometimes friendship is not about being, yeah, in, in each other's space, in, right? It's more about being seen and having the fact that you have needs recognized and then, you know, having a variety of ways to like meet those needs, right? That it might be really being in deep conversation, but it also might be more spacious. Um, thank you for the gift of sharing from Da Vinci Rembrandt with us and um, I can, I can feel how dear she is in your heart and I appreciate that. Um, I just need another second, I think, to sit with her. Can we just, can we? Would, if I may, she would always, people always think that, um, you know, I do homeless advocacy. People who don't think of all the things I must get asked for and they're way off base, you know, like even like yeah, I usually notice like, dude, do you want new shoes? Cause those, those aren't really what they used to be. You know, rarely does someone say, will you buy me shoes? Um, it's such a blessing when someone can get to that point where they actually know what they need and are willing to articulate that. And so the types of things that she would ask me for were like a bucket, a broom, you know, um, that, I think that those were like the two things she ever really, she liked a good burger, you know? Um, but she would always offer to pay me in diamonds. And I, whether or not she had diamonds is irrelevant. Um, but I don't like diamonds. I like just, I'm very simple. <laughs> I would just say, yeah, I'm not really into diamonds. You keep your diamonds. And so we had that conversation a number of times where she would offer to compensate me with diamonds. But I think that for me, those, you know, the, the diamond is a result of pressure and that she was the diamond. She felt the pressure and that these, you know, fleeting moments of eye contact or, you know, lucidity, um, those for me, I still, I, I cherish those. Those were the diamonds, absolutely. Thank you for adding that because the, the diamond piece really is um, illuminating, right? That like really she was giving you diamonds, like, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just going to breathe with her for another moment. I'm not quite ready to move on to a question. So I'm just going to take a second. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I'm going to change topics. If are you feeling ready for that? Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I'm wondering what you might recommend to someone who um, is maybe newer to considering nourishment, right? Or maybe has really thought of nourishment in very particular or like rigid ways. How might you invite them to engage in that in a different way? 
I think, you know, MP, I think that's a really great question. And even for someone who's been like in the trenches, really evolved and really gone, made great strides in their relationship with their own nourishment. I think that the answer for both, both folks is the same. And that like, um, I'm hearing my, my, my older sibling, they had said something uh, a few months ago, working on some art that like, we are all just big five-year-olds you know, and that we're all just, we're, 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 whether you're in a meeting with a bunch of adults or whatever you're doing, that's really, the table is really just a bunch of five-year-olds in big bodies. And, and so when we think about our own nourishment, um, I think that taking, you know, kind of peeling back the layers to that little five-year-old uh, or, you know, like, how would I coordinate tomorrow for Ty if Ty was a five-year-old that I was in charge of? you know, by all means, that kid would have all the healthy snacks and all the mental activities and all the social opportunities and everything that was available to them, because who's not going to prioritize a beautiful little vibrant five-year-old? And so somewhere inside of all of us, there's a, probably a handful of five-year-olds, you know, a few that are getting their needs met and a few that aren't, and maybe a couple that, you know, just are in between and trying to figure things out. But I think focusing on that, um, that wisdom that I got from my, my sibling of that, we are really all just five-year-olds and we're all trying to get our needs met and we're all trying to figure things out. And so if, um, if, if you're new on your journey and nourishment and you're trying to kind of um, there's so much of material available, you know, and, and, and that in a low, in and of itself can be overwhelming and kind of a deterrent. Um, but just kind of blind, blinding ourselves to all of the resources available and, and really trying to get in touch with that five-year-old. And it might be different for you in, in deaf culture and in sign language, there's this sign and it's like a hand at the belly and it's kind of like referring to your core, your essence. Your, your, your deepest truth. And it's this gut feeling. And so for me, I think my five-year-old is right there in the middle of my belly, you know, and they maybe are um, getting what they want with like a five-year-old would, you know? And so if we can engage with that inner five-year-old and, and kind of have some dialogue and, and maybe, I mean, play it up, might as well just do jump right into the role and talk to yourself like you're a five-year-old and what kind of language would entice you to try broccoli for the first time or to, you know, to do that, that tactile um, loop around the grocery, the produce aisle before you make some choices. And, you know, um, I think that that type of relationship with ourselves really is an, an invitation to you, you it's, it's twofold because you have, you were a five-year-old once. And so somewhere in there, that five-year-old has an opportunity to sort of re rewire things that maybe went awry. And then also you get to kind of move forward with that little guy and say, Hey, well, where do you want to go? Like, what's it going to look like? How will you know that you're growing up? How will you know that you're taking care of yourself? Um, I think that that's a beautiful place to start. And if that's something that, that folks, you know, take, take me up on I, I would love to hear like what that experience is like for people what a lovely invitation um I have a two-year-old and so I I do also often think about this and um and five-year-old I think is a is a very relatable time right because this is like at least for many of us the first time we like consistently left the house to go somewhere away from the house for a long time right like school is a very different environment than like being in a daycare center where there's like people, right? Like the, and so anyway, for me, I'm thinking about being five and being someone who's like going away to school and like, what kind of things do you need, right? 
someone helps you pack your lunch, like you take a snack, right? You probably take a change of clothes because who knows what's going to happen while you're away, right? All of these things that like um, people, you know, many of us maybe had this experience. I won't say all of us because I know that there were some of the five-year-olds in me also don't have their needs met, right? <laughs> but um, I think picking the way that I would want like my vision and my dream for how a five-year-old would feel most held and protected, right? The other thing that I think about with this image that I think makes it so useful as like an actionable skill, right? Is that whether I'm thinking about my two-year-old or we're thinking about a five-year-old, there's only so much information that they are like wired to process yet, right? Their brains are still forming and they're taking in a lot of information. And so for me, like making something like, you know, child processable, like child size in that sense, um, helps me also think about like, okay, like I tend to be someone who wants to like dive right in. I want to know everything about, right. I'm going to buy 15 books. And then I'm going to also put a few on hold, you know, I want to like check out everything. And so this idea of like, I wouldn't overwhelm my child in that way. Right. Like I know what would have, there would be like a, a meltdown of information. Right. So um, I think it's a really lovely invitation to think about what the five-year-old in you needs to be the most thriving person. And you did also like name there, right? This rewiring, right? And I, I think this is a really beautiful invitation if your childhood was not nourishing in this way to be able to go back and reparent and hold yourself and, you know, get some needs met there as well. Um and I, I hope maybe folks will leave us some comments, you know, uh, in the podcast on our YouTube channel about, you know, what happens for them if they try this. And I think it's a really rich invitation um, that I'm going to take forward as well, because um, I'm also really deep right right now, specifically into the launch of our product in the next couple of like, you know, right. And so for me, that often tends towards like overwork. And I forget to like, you know, we were talking right before we got on the call about how I had sort of a, a technological meltdown. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to walk away. And I, you know, I took a walk and I took a shower and I practiced yoga nidra. And I really like, I stepped very deeply into the things that I like value in order to sort of move forward. And um, I'm thinking about how much like kids need, that. like my kid, like if they haven't gone outside yet today, it's like an itchy feeling, right? And we all get it. Like, so uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, MP, I was a very serious child. And so the rigidity and sort of like logic that adults tend to get weighed down by, I had that as a kid. And so I really had to start pretty young, like unlearning my my natural structured self so that I could have a, so I could let that five-year-old play. And uh, these type of exercises, whether it's focused on nourishment or play, um, that five-year-old has really carried me through. Yes, thanks for naming the word play. That's come up for us a couple of times recently as well, right? And just me seeing in the course of these podcast conversations, like, oh, I'm not getting enough of that, right? Um, and I think maybe that's because it is hard to get too much play, right? And that it is a thing I think that we are, to some extent, wired to crave um, and just how nourishing play can be. Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of fun things in here for me to think about and take away and be like, oh, what action do I want to, you know, take with this nourish verb? So thank you for that. I am wondering, we're getting um, close to my last question here. 
So I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to add or share that like we just haven't touched on yet, if there's anything that's coming up that you're like, oh, I want to make sure people know that. I don't know. This is such a wonderful experience, um, you know, to be invited to kind of take a closer look at what nourishment means to me and how um, nourishing myself is manifesting in my life today. Um, I think that a, a lot of the stress around the pandemic and trying to manage a business, you know, a, a legacy business, we've been open 30 years when the pandemic first hit, um, that my own sort of needs shifted from sort of proactive moving forward to like self-soothing and, and sustaining. And I think that we, we have this wonderful life experience of taste and touch and, um, and, 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 and everything about food can be uh, soothing if we let it. And so there is a, there is definitely some play in that and, and whether or not, you know, um, we're sort of structuring our nourishment around best practices or something like that versus just like, you know, where am I at today? And like, what does my body want? What does, what do my taste buds want? What does my stomach say about yesterday? And, you know, all of that stuff, um, is, is just as valuable as any kind of, you know, research-based, uh, you know, strategies for the living the healthiest life. And, and so I think that for me over the last couple of years, thankfully I get to feed other people, um, you know, even if it was just boxed up for them to take home for later. Um, and that, that game of getting to sort of entertain their dreams about their nourishment and like meet those needs gives me some room to, to play with my own you know, nourishment and how I feed myself and, um, you know, being able to kind of accept the fact that we couldn't go out into the world, but we could have, you know, like, you know, we're not, we were saving so much money on say, commuting, um, we could buy the good ice cream, <laughs> you know, and it's like, um, this is going to do for now because this is what we have available to us and, um, you know, celebrating and kind of um, sharing um, even, you know, digitally, like, you know, the family was having sort of family gatherings on, on zoom or whatever. And we would talk about, well, what are you guys eating for dinner? Cause normally we'd be together eating dinner. Um, and it was just a really nice way to kind of um, calm the stress of the pandemic and just remember that like, Either way, we're going to find ways to feel good. And one of those ways is playing around in the kitchen, trying new things, you know, figuring out kind of how much we can get out of one serving or something, you know, because we're trying to reduce trips to the store. And um, there was a lot of room for play in nourishment over the last couple of years. And I, I look forward to kind of keeping that with me as I move, you know, move forward. I love this idea that something golden has come out of right this like learning to live through this like challenging time and that play and nourishment is the thing you're going to carry forward thank you for that uh i'm also thinking that the way that you were describing that is a, really a beautiful bridge into my last question which is what's your vision for a radical life I, I am a product of a radical vision for life. My grandparents, my, my mom, her siblings, um, we are a radical family. 
um, you know, and we are, um, I was sort of encouraged to take up space, which is radical. And so as I move through the world, um, you know, if I need to stretch in the middle of a meeting, I get up and stretch. Or if, you know, if I'm headed to a class and the right thing for me is to be on the ground during that class, just let you guys know, I'm going to be sitting over here. I'm going to be on the ground. And so, however, I need to take up space. I feel empowered to do so at this point. And, you know, you will have fleeting moments throughout life where we're like, Ooh, I don't, I can't actually take up space, but I try to get back to that as quickly as possible. That actually the space I'm in benefits from me taking it up and that I'm not serving myself and I'm not serving anyone. I'm not serving the universe by minimizing the space that I take up. And so whether that's in my own home kitchen at the grocery store or out, out at a meal, you know, taking up space, having that dialogue, figuring out, you know, if, if I have specific needs, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at what's available. Like, how can we get to the point where I'm going to get what I need and, and, and it's not being afraid of that communication. You know, it, it, there are times we're asking, you know, it's, is the soup made with the vegetable broth, you know? And it's like, do you want to bother to ask? Like, I don't eat meat. Well, yeah, I want to see, I want soup though, you know, so I kind of need to know. And so being comfortable enough to be able to take up that space and have those conversations. And even if it's a no, you know, the server learns something like, oh, like, you mean you don't have to use a chicken broth to make soup? Um, and we all kind of get to just sit in the awkwardness of it. And that's just as valuable as being able to quickly go in and get exactly what you want with no kind of, you know, no kind of compromise or deliberation. And so I think that taking up that space and being as much myself as possible is, is my radical life. Absolutely beautiful. I think even admitting to having needs, right, is radical, but then believing that you like, it's okay to take up the space and figure out how to get them met. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I love the idea, right, of your family just being radical seeds, right, that are, you know, um, yes. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. It really has been joyful for me. Um, and so thank you for that. Thank you. This was a pleasure and I'm excited about this project and I look forward to hearing more from the other presenters. Thank you for joining us. Head over to our website at radical.life to sign up for your free Radical Life Starter Kit. Our website is R-A-D-I-K-A-L dot L-I-F-E. The Radical Life Podcast is produced by me, Marina Patrice Fair, and edited by Cassidy Bear. Our theme music was created by Mark Meezy. Radical Life is a co-creation with Manjot Singh Khalsa and Radical Healing. Connect with us on social media, Radical with a K, or on Instagram at Radical underscore life underscore 22, and Facebook at Radical Life.